This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. In grade four, I had a girl crush on Princess Diana. I pored over her pictures in newspapers and magazines. I kept up on her philanthropic endeavors. I examined her outfits, all that tweed suit and the high-waisted jeans and the flowy, diaphanous skirt. I even had my hair cut like hers. Fortunately, I was already a honey blonde, so there was no need for that nine-year-old dye job. But my short on one side, slightly longer on the other hair, did feather beautifully over my right eye. The look was popular with my friend's mothers, and, you know, it gave me confidence. I was so close to Diana, in fact, that um, I decided to write her a letter. It went something like, Dear Princess Diana, I heard you're coming to Halifax to plant a tree or something. I am from Halifax, and I would love to meet you. Love, Lindsay. A few months later, before the royal visit took place, I received this dated 21st of January, 1982. Dear Lindsay, the Princess of Wales has asked me to write you and thank you for your letter. Her Royal Highness was most grateful for your kind thought in writing. Love, the lady-in-waiting. The exchange ignited something in me. If you really want to connect with someone, just write them a letter. The reply may come from the lady-in-waiting, but who cares? Diana was probably right there, hair falling over right eye, dictating. We had connected. What does this have to do with food? Well, everything. Today's episode is all about how one food writer shaped her career by writing a letter to her then-hero, Julia Child. And guess what? Julia Child wrote her back, and a friendship followed. I'm talking about the award-winning cookbook author, Nina Simons. We'll also hear from her editor, Judith Jones. Together, they'll share their wisdom on how building relationships through letters, recipes, and travel is the recipe for finding your voice as a food writer. I first met Nina while working at a cookbook store in Notting Hill over 10 years ago. At that point, Nina was already an award-winning journalist and author with a special focus on Asian cooking, health, and lifestyle. Her books, Asian Noodles and A Spoonful of Ginger, had both won IACP and James Beard Foundation Book Awards. She was the real deal. Nina walked through the door of the shop and explained she was living in London and needed an assistant to help her test recipes for a book she was working on. It was good timing. I loved working amongst the cookbooks, but I was also keen to learn how one was made. I basically walked out with her then and there. Over the next few months, maybe a year, it's all a happy blur. I'd get on my bicycle and travel to her little muse house in London, where myself and another tester would test recipes in her little kitchen. Nina would dash between her kitchen and her office, tasting, guiding, mentoring, laughing. Then the phone would ring and she would dash back to her office. It was often her editor, Judith Jones, calling from New York looking for clarification on a recipe or an ingredient, and it was almost as if Judith Jones was listening in on us in the kitchen. She was always there asking, why, why did you do it that way? She was a champion of the home cook and a chief recipe tester herself. 
Cooking for Nina was a lesson in how to test, taste, chop, and wash up as you go. But it was also a lesson in Chinese cooking, the beauty of prepping in advance because of the quick, hot speed in which everything was cooked, the importance of chopping massive amounts of garlic and ginger at once so you could just scoop from the piles as you needed them. She taught me how to shop in Chinatown. I learned about yin and yang and how to listen to the body and find balance. Food for Nina was health-giving. Her food was so full of flavor, but also straightforward, accessible, oh, and so good. Stir-fry, what you want to do is prepare all of your ingredients in advance. And the first thing is to cut the chicken. We're using boneless, skinless chicken breast. When everything was ready, we would always set the table and we'd sit down with our husband, Don, and taste and talk and critique all together. What we were working on would become the book Spices of Life. It would win a James Beard Award and be selected by Cooking Light magazine as their number one choice in the health category for cookbooks written in the last 25 years. I learned a few things about Nina's story in that little kitchen that year, but there were bits that were missing for me. I knew she spoke Mandarin and had spent time in Taiwan, but how did a 19-year-old Jewish girl from Massachusetts end up in China anyway? And how did she jump from China to working with Judith Jones, editor at Knopf, who discovered and mentored the key voices of American 20th century food? Julia Child, Matter Jaffrey, Edna Lewis, Marcella Hazan, just to name a few. So I called Nina. And she filled me in. Nina was an ace in high school at languages, specifically French. That led to being offered a coveted spot studying Mandarin at a private school. So I decided to do it, um, not really to learn Chinese as much as meet boys. But I thought, you know, I was fascinated. I had grown up on Chinese food, like many Jewish families, Christmas, holidays, whatever. And so I went to Madison. I studied for a semester and finished the year. And I decided at the end of the year that I wanted to drop out of college I had, in high school, started cooking, and I became an avid fan of Julia Child and her programs that were, I think, really pivotal in, the, in this country, in that Julia not only showed people how to cook and appreciate ingredients, but she also talked about the culture in France and the markets and, you know, just how extraordinary it was. And so I got this idea that maybe I would go to Paris and study French cooking. And so I wrote Julia a letter and believe it or not, she wrote me back. And I, I asked her, you know, where would she recommend cooking? Assuming she would say the Cordon Bleu, and she said, no, the Cordon Bleu is not very good. Go to Lausanne, Switzerland, where there's a professional hotel school. And I had no desire to go to Switzerland. So I decided, well, what other great culture and language is there? Chinese cuisine and culture. So I got this crazy idea to go to China and I told my parents I was dropping out very quickly. And of course, they threatened to completely disown me. And they said, no, you can't. And I said, yeah, I can. And I will. 
That was the early 70s when China was closed to foreigners, but Taiwan was open and it was full of chefs who had left China and gone to Taiwan to teach regional specialties. So there's Nina, a dropout, looking for a job, and she runs into Amy, a classmate from Mandarin class who had spent time in Taipei. And I just said to her, Amy, you know, I've decided I'm going to Asia. And remembering that she had gone to Taiwan and lived there. And she was very, she was in a rush. And she just said to me, well, I have a friend. And she wrote down a name and an address. And she said, write to her. I taught her English. Maybe she'll respond to you. And she didn't say anything else. And so I wrote to this woman, not knowing who she was or what she did. Her name is Huang Sukui, and she turned out to have an extraordinary cooking school in Taipei where the best chefs taught the regional specialties. And um, she had just compiled a book of all their recipes, and she wanted to translate them into English. And she just said to me, you sound like you would be a good friend to have. Welcome to Taiwan. Ah, the power of the letter. When I was in journalism school, we had a small internship halfway through the program. My cousin was living in San Francisco at the time, I had flipped through Sunset, the West Coast food and lifestyle magazine, and knew the longtime editor at Sunset, Jerry Del Vecchio, knew the longtime editor at Chatelaine, Monda Rosenberg. I had volunteered at Chatelaine while at cooking school. Anyway, Monda passed Jerry's details along to me, and guess what? I wrote Jerry Del Vecchio a letter asking to be an intern in her test kitchen, and she said yes. When I arrived, she had totally forgotten about the whole thing, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) They cleared a desk for me, and within minutes, I was chopping chilies. It's all about the letter. Anyway, so Nina's going to Taiwan. I saw food as more than just sustenance. I realized that it was a springboard to learn about culture, history, and, of course, health. And, you know, one of the extraordinary things was that I noticed uh, we would go to the open air markets in the morning and the food was so fresh. And we always ate according to the season. But I learned that there were different foods that you ate, not only because of the seasonal aspect, but because it was important for your health. So the food was not only healthy, it was delicious. And I'd never had healthy and delicious food before. In the 70s, you know, I I worked at these hippie vegetarian restaurants and everything was brown. And, um, you know, and I got over there and there were these extraordinary fresh ingredients and flavors. And the great thing about it, and I think this is really critically important, was there was no sacrifice with it. You know, and I think that we in the West think of healthy foods as meaning sacrifice. But these were foods that were delicious as well as healing. There was never a sense of sacrifice for Nina. Food was and is a joy, a celebration a gift. I think that's why she must have gotten along so well with her editor, Judith Jones. They both believe... The essential thing in cooking is pleasure. And if you don't enjoy it, forget it. That was Judith Jones, who we already know would become her editor. 
More from Judith in just a bit. Meanwhile, Nina and her letters. When I was in Taiwan, I mentioned that I'd help translate cookbooks. I had written to Julia. I kept up my correspondence with Julia because when I decided to go to China, I wrote to her and I said, Julia, I'm going to China and are going to Taiwan. And she and her husband, Paul, had lived in China. And she said to me, Oh, we are so interested. We love Chinese food. And please keep in touch. And so we became pen pals. And after I wrote my second book, Chinese Snacks, I wrote Julia a letter inside the book, which actually was discovered a few years ago at the Sussinger Library at Harvard, right inside the book my letter to Julia Child written in 1975. So what happened was we kept in touch and I went back and she had said, we'd love to meet you. So please stop in Cambridge. And so I stopped in Cambridge to have lunch. And she said, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I'd sort of like to teach, but I don't really know if I'm ready. And she said, don't be crazy. Of course you're ready. And I said, well, you know, I still would like to go to Paris. And she said, would you believe that I have a friend, Anne Willen, who's a close colleague, who's opening a cooking school in Paris called La Varenne. She said, maybe you can work there and you can exchange your Chinese cooking for learning French cuisine. So I worked for a year and I met Anne Willen. She thought I could speak French well enough. So I went over and lived in Paris for a year. And at the end of a year, I moved back to Toledo, Ohio, where everybody moves after they move from Paris. But uh, I just happened to meet a man who I had fallen in love with. And um, yeah, it happens. You even live in Toledo, Ohio for these people. Taiwan, Paris, love, Ohio, and then Gourmet Magazine. The timing was perfect. The founder of Gourmet was looking for a four-part series on Chinese gastronomy. Nina got the job, and the four-part series turned into a 24-part series that ran in the magazine for two years. Nina had essentially written the book, which would become A Spoonful of Ginger. But first, in order to shop it around a publisher, she had to write a proposal. She already had a publisher interested in the proposal, but first she wanted to meet with Judith Jones editor at Knopf. I wrote the proposal for Spoonful of Ginger, and Judith was really intrigued by it. And I was very wary and skeptical, um, I should say, because I felt that this was such an important topic to me that was very important that it, it, you know, it be done a certain way. And I knew that Judith was a very strong editor and I wanted to remain true to my vision. So I said to my agent, let me go to New York and talk to her and then I'll decide, believe it or not. And I went there and we talked for three and a half hours and then we had lunch. And she was an ex- she is an extraordinary editor. And so we became really close working on the book. The friendship piece, Judith Jones told me, is what is essential. To start with, I think it's 
very important that you have a personal relationship with any writer who's dealing with personal material of his or her own. I mean, it's it's important because if you're going to have an interesting voice, and I think food has been crying out for this, but and we've had very few over the years, but and with the enormous interest today and foods from all over and how we're all going to die because we use plastic or something like that. You need to know where that person's coming from and then ask the right questions. I think the third or fourth time that I went to see her in New York, she said to me, may I ask you something? And I could tell it was very important. And I said, yeah, and I had no idea what she, you know, I was going to say, Judith, I'm not a virgin, no. But uh, she said, would you take me to Asia the next time you go? Her late husband, Evan, had been a photojournalist and he had spent a great deal of time in Asia and Judith had never been. I said, of course, I'll take you. And so my husband and I, took her actually on a three and a half week trip where my husband took photos for Spoonful of Ginger. Once again, she was fascinated. And so when it came time to do my next book, Spices of Life, she really wanted to be involved. And so since that time, we've remained very close friends. Nina is a force of nature. And she was so sensitive. My husband had died that past winter. And I said once, well, my traveling days are over because it's so miserable to, to travel alone. Something went off in her little light bulb and she said, well, you're going to go to Asia with us. And that was that. She took charge. And then I said, is your husband coming? And she said, oh, yes, he's eventually that he come. And I could see why, because he and I sort of sit together and have a cup of coffee and while she flew around the square. And there was one point, really, where we were in a traffic jam. And Nina had been talking Chinese all the time, really rattling off the words in a kind of street way, a, a homey way, maybe. And uh, all of a sudden, we'd been in this taxi. This, this, it was a taxi, a modern taxi. And that whatever they were quarreling about went on and on, and the voices got screechier and higher. And you can you can see the scene. And, and Nina forgot all about the refined Chinese dialects that she knows, and just leapt into this sort of almost street talk, and <laughs> screaming at each other. And it was it was marvelous. Nina and Judith were a match. Strong women who loved adventure, home cooking, and attention to detail. I think that she is a pioneer. Judith saw the beginnings of Edna Lewis's, who was a really pioneering Southern cook. And she realized that this was very important. And so, as she had with many of the other authors that she I think, introduced to, you know, their cuisines, Modern Job Free, Julia Child, Marcel Hazan, Lydia Bastianich. She was, in a way, a pioneer, and she foresaw the importance of what we were all doing and talking about. Those women were talking about Southern food, French food, Italian food, Indian food, and Chinese food. And through Judith, a common thread was revealed. 
how to communicate with your reader. I remember once I was with Lydia Bastianich and we were doing the photographs for her book. And she did this strange thing. She had a big frying pan and she pushed everything to the side, the vegetables, and left a bare space, what she called a bare space. And then she plopped in some olive oil and then very quickly sautéed. I don't remember whether it was fish or meat, but whatever it was. And then she put it back all together. And I said, now, why did you why did you do that? What was that about? And as we talked, we realized that there was a very similar technique used by most people in India. And it was the, I'm not reproducing it very well, but it was the exact same thing that Lydia was doing. And that, that was such an eye-opener to me. Because I could say, why are you doing this? A recipe for in a bowl, combine the first mixture with the second mixture, suddenly replaced by Lydia with not only knowledge, but a sensitivity to taste and smell. Just at that moment, we, we were communicating. Now, I won't answer the question if somebody says, how long will it take? Well, how long? <laughs> I just say... You know, you figure that out. Do it a few times and we'll put in some general guidelines like it'll take almost an hour. And already there's a kind of charm to almost an hour instead of 60 minutes. (laughs) I asked Nina about the importance of being comfortable in the kitchen. She's a home cook and many of her recipes and spices of life are inspired by home cooks. It's what I like most about her recipes. They're for people like me. We're still in an age where chef cookbooks are big. But I do think Judith Jones has been probably one of the greatest promoters of home cooking and home cooks. And I do think that that is critically important because when, you know, someone comes home, they can't necessarily create a restaurant recipe, but if it's simplified, they can do it. So that's that's why I, I was so inspired by home cooks. I still think that people are interested in cooking. You know, they're interested in convenience and health. But, you know, I, I do think and hope that we see more of this growth of people feeling like they can cook delicious, healthy food in the kitchen, that they do have time in their schedule. And that's where I left things off. Add your seasonings, scallion, ginger, chili paste. Letters, communication, cooking from scratch, taking the time, building relationships in the kitchen. It will never go to style, I'd say. So look in your mailboxes and sometimes just pick up the phone. You can call people, even when you're nervous, because it's Judith Jones. We're a new podcast, so it would be so helpful if you could rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. Makes a huge difference in our ratings, and, you know, we don't want to get lost in the shuffle. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Food Podcast, or like us on the Food Podcast Facebook page. And please send along any feedback, love, criticisms, doesn't matter, got a very thick skin, to thefoodpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, thanks to Jen Grant for our amazing theme song. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson.
This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. Just before we go, do you think you could give me a little Mandarin? Ah, Lindsay, wa ai ni, ni shi wa han lao da pang yao. Xie xie ni, zai jie. What did you say? I said, Lindsay, I love you. You're my old friend. And thank you very much. And goodbye.